Welcome to Herp Talk Radio. I'm your host, Matthew, and my co-host is Peggy Detmer. Coming to you live from the Black Hills. It's Herp Talk Radio. So, Peggy, how are the turtles? They're doing great. They're growing much. And I'm really looking forward to releasing all these babies, um, you know, come June, July, once I get them to the point where uh, the cranes can't eat them. <laughs> but uh yeah they're they're fun and uh my my breeding partner he's down in uh here tennessee and uh or is it kentucky i'll have to look again <laughs> i've only seen it one turtle so far um and uh now we're going to i'm sending him um all the babies these hits that i'm producing out of the clown's brother um mated with the a western painted um, female that i raised so i know she um she wasn't bred by any other male and so it's um uh, it's it's going good it's uh the box turtles are um, i'm I, I would love to find somebody who would love to take uh, a blind box turtle off my hands because boys i know yeah. you would you've been trying on me now for a while and yeah, like uh I've... maybe but you know what what it's gonna be is you're just gonna end up driving to my house and dropping it off and being like here take this thing i don't know what to do with it anymore and drive away and then what now i have it and i'm stuck <laughs> you know, once it's, i've got a habitat built for him outside and you know so he's gonna be great once you know the weather warms up you know then and i'll still have to change his water quite a bit you know um, once he's out there because you know, they like just little tiny shallow pools. And so, um, and most box turtles love to go in there and bathe once or twice a day. And why they do it, they use it also as their toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're uh, constantly, you know, refreshing their little drinking pool, bathing pool. And, uh, you know, I, you know, he, he and, and the other rescue box turtle are the only terrestrial turtles that I've kept long term i've babysat you know friends as turtles that uh, are tortoises and box turtles that were deployed or you know they were moving and setting up and then they come and collect their animals but uh yeah this is a first that you know i i'm going to have them long term if i so decide <laughs> and my I, i'm so deciding kind of not wanting to <laughs> <laughs> getting in the way of my painting and drawing and sculpting time and now with having also a new puppy well he's one year and four months old it's so you uh, got a new puppy then huh yeah i mean yeah. not like i don't already know but the listeners sure don't know <laughs> sure don't know yeah i i think he's gonna freak people out when we take him to the the, the parks and people see him because he literally literally does and it wasn't you know i thought it was just joel and i that saw it but no joel's mother came over today and and uh she goes oh my god he looks like a chocolate coyote <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is he's built and acts and you know has the, those gold eyes as if he's you know a wild dog but i mean he acts completely tame he, he doesn't have the long toes which tells me he's not coyote or wolf but he you know people are going to freak out when they see him <laughs> <laughs> and luckily he's only a 50 pound dog so <laughs> yeah, he's not one of those you know uh 80 pound wolf crosses but he's he's unique i he, 
you know, after we lost our old guy and I said, okay, we've got to fill this hole. And sure enough, we, I, I look at the uh, Black Hills Humane Society right in Rapid and I said, oh God, Joe, look at this. I said, this, this guy looks, he's built like a wolf, even though he's not colored, you know, he's got the chocolate coloring. I said, you and I could take pictures of him and in the poses that he strikes, you know, I can turn him into a wolf, you know, by just, you know, um, thickening up his hair and making it grizzled like a wolf. And, and so I go, I can write this guy off because well, I'll be using him in our artwork. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I checked with my accountant. My accountant goes, uh, yeah, that's how it works. It's, a, it's called a modeling expense. <laughs> so I was like, well, awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Care, you know, vet care, feeding, you know, uh, you know, his adoption fee, it all gets put into the uh, model expense bracket. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the thing this week that's been, you know, really, you know, making me into a new mother. <laughs> <laughs> so with all the turtles and uh, the box turtles, it's, uh, yeah, I, I I'm anxious, and when I talk to the herpetologists uh, of Game and Fish, that uh, you know, um, setting up when we can release these turtles, and there's a lot of people in our reptile club that want to participate, which is exciting. So, yeah, I mean, they, I've got at least seven on the list that according to their work schedule, um, they want to participate in rescuing the turtles from the drying ponds and, you know, game and fish would, you know, love us to film that and use it as a human interest, public, you know, um, feel good story. And, uh, the same with, uh, releasing the egg rescues from the, Turtles we find deceased run over on the road and hatching those eggs and, and releasing those. So, yeah, it, it's fun to continue on that even though I'm retired as a biologist, um, I'm still kind of uh, an ad hoc spokesperson now for uh, South Dakota Game and Fish Heritage Division, the non-sporting hunting species. And I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, networking with um, the new uh, herpetologist who's been located here to Rapid City to, yeah. yeah I'm uh, kind of interested to get to hear how dealing with her is. and Yeah. You know, yeah Jen, I mean, maybe Jen, dealing with is the wrong term, but. Depends <laughs> <laughs> on what you're up to. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's, and, and, Joe and I are going to get that snake pole like I talked on the last issue because, uh, you know, um, he, he's getting tired of using uh, his tri camera tripod to move snakes off the road, and especially when it's the rattlers that curl up and, you know, and spit and grab his, his tripod, you know, rubber feet. He doesn't want to deal with venom. <laughs> oh, you've got one. Where'd you get it? <laughs> Any pet store. Oh, really? At a pet store? Okay. Yeah, I guess I've never super I, small. I, well, that's awesome. But fits in a backpack. Oh well, he wants one that's at least six feet long. <laughs> yeah, it's not six feet. Um, yeah. and and for those listening, I just showed a picture of a snake, or I just showed my snake hook, which is a, like just a little collapsible hook that you pick up at Petco. Yeah, They're probably twenty-four inches total. You could handle a four foot rattlesnake and be safe with it. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, he 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 wants a six footer because yeah, 
I mean, I've seen six feet rattlesnakes out there. And matter of fact, we encountered one on a cattle drive and it was so big. I thought, you know, and, and the guy shot it because, you know, we were just, he was ahead of the herd and we were driving the herd and also we hear this shot up ahead and I go, Oh God, that doesn't sound good. And when we get up there, he's got this big snake draped up and over the, this, um, fence that was uh, on the pasture that we were driving the cattle by. And these were 110 head of longhorn. And he wanted to kill the snake before it started a stampede. Well, here the snake was, it, it was draped up and over this four strand barbed wire, touching, touching the ground on both sides. And oh, man. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. The head I, and the, he, and the, the guys whose horse I was riding goes, don't ride the horse up to inspect that snake. He knew me. <laughs> he knew <laughs> I wanted to go inspect that snake. He goes, that, that horse will freak out on you. And so, um, you know, I, uh, the guy who had shot it, you know, his horse was an old, uh, dead broke thing. And he, he, he could go up there and he said, his head was this big, you know, like you know, indicating about five inches. And from where I was safely on this green horse, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I go, do you know how much money you could have gotten from that, from reptile gardens? I mean, this thing, <laughs> yeah, huge. I had well, never seen a snake like that. I'm sure most people don't ever think about it, but like the largest bull snake on record is from South Dakota. So right. at eight foot, four inches or something crazy, like uh, a, just uh, <laughs> <clears throat> like just a monster, you know? So that's hard. Eight foot, imagine. four inches is really big for a colubrid <laughs> native snake anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's fun to go out herping. And so it's not just turtles on the road we encounter that we help across the road or, you know, get the eggs off the road. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun to see the snakes and then, and encounter some that aren't supposed to be here. You know, they're supposed right, to be down like you have in your yard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, like, and we encountered this beautiful blue and rust king snake in wind cave that isn't supposed to be here. And so, you know, we took pictures of it. Someone had run over it, and you know, and so um, we shared that with the you know, the, um, the park and this um, herp site that you know reporting on. And I, I've got to, I should post that on our rep, uh, Rapid City Reptile Group. You know, anybody sees things like that, you know, to get the GPS and send those pictures to that site of um, you know, so that they can catalog where the people are seeing species where they're supposed to be and where they're not supposed to be <laughs> or not expected to be like that king snake was it's like oh gosh too bad he he was run over because you know he is gorgeous blue i mean this the like sky blue and then with rust um circles surrounded by a, a black and and it's just it's sad it was only about a, a two inch or excuse me a two foot snake and it's just so sad that, you know, he wasn't one that we could encounter and, and uh, you know, meet and hold and take some pictures. Beautiful snake that was lost to us. I don't, you know, and that's why I, I tell people, when you drive through the parks, take your time. Expect right. that there's snakes on the road basking on the, on the warm roads. And, you know, uh, don't drive through as if you're on a Sunday drive and you can't wait to go home and get to dinner. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Because, it's so sad that we encounter so many snakes that are 
run over in our, you know, Custer State Park and the Wind Cave National Park and the Badlands. It's, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Well, um, for me, I guess there's not too much new. We're still, uh, still working on, on coming up with a plan for the reptile collection. So I kind of want to make sure we're focused and we're not just, uh, buying things all willy-nilly, spending money where we really shouldn't even be spending money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've, yeah got- we've got some thoughts there. I've got my list of my top five made, so uh-huh. probably dive into those species. And, Wait, yeah. What's the top five of those? I really like, like, Aspidites overall as the genus, which would be, like, Woma pythons and blackhead pythons. Um, they're kind of like Australia's king snake, and then uh, so both of those are really on there. Uh, the limitations with blackheads is price because you can't really get like one snake for under twelve hundred bucks. Ooh. So yeah, there's a there's a cost. Diamond pythons, another one, same way, big huge cost, thousand dollars minimum per snake. But then, when you breed it, those, then you could get that same for their get. I if if you if you can breed them, and yeah, <laughs> so on and so forth. I mean, yeah, diamonds are kind of a little more rare in the hobby. I feel they're just not. People aren't producing them. Doesn't seem, even though they're worked with and like wanted. I don't know why people don't work with them more. That yeah, that goes against all marketing sense. You know, if someone wants something, then usually um, there's a business person who'll say, "Okay, I'll provide it, and I'll make money providing that." Yeah, I just wonder if they're like a super. They're not like a python. I mean, they are. They're a python, but like Terry Phillips said, you have to shovel snow into their cage in the winter time. Like that's kind of what you need to do. So, like, at 45 degrees, no heat, just to 45 degrees, they'll take food. Where are they from? Australia, the southern coast of Australia. So it'd be, like, the northern, like, Pennsylvania up to Maine here is where they would live. So it'd be similar to that. Oh. So they would get snow there. Oh, yeah. They get lots of snow. Wow. I just don't think of snow happening in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, you don't, do you? <laughs> Australia is a very big place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it, it is about the size of the United States, the, the lower some, state. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's got every it's got rainforest, desert, you know, swampy land, mangroves. <laughs> everything. Yeah, I, I guess I would never move there because of the, the killer spiders and killer snakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really the snakes I'd worry about. I'd be more worried in, like, Africa or, or uh, like, India, you know, yeah. the Middle East and Africa. That's where I'd be worried about snakes. They're the two-step snakes, as they call it. You get bit and you last uh, you walk. <laughs> 
steps and then drop dead. <laughs> that and there's not a lot of anti venom for them. Like no. at least in like Australia, you got some anti venom. I mean, for most of the things you're gonna get bit by anyway, if you were to get bit, uh, there's not any like. I don't know. I just feel like there's it's African and Asian cobras just seem far worse. Black mambas, oh. green mambas, Jacobson mambas, you know, these are these yeah, the two step snakes. I mean, sure, in inland Taipan, if it bites you, yeah, you probably do have two steps, but the likelihood that that snake is gonna bite you is slim to none because you're not gonna run into it. It lives out in the middle of nowhere where people aren't. So, have you ever watched the show Wild Safari Live, where it's being beamed directly from Juma Game Preserve, and they also have another crew up in um, uh, the, the Maasai Mara, you know, where they they have these big migrations. Well, they show these black mambas, or and um, that all of a sudden uh, uh, chase. Some of, you know, I mean, they chase the humans. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! <laughs> and and I, you know, they 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 uh, that's their their defense is intimidation. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> huge snake. Also, the you know the the guide is getting out to show you know to to show you this tortoise, you know, leopard tortoise crossing the road. Then all of a sudden, you know, he didn't realize how close the jeep came to this you know, big, huge black snake and the snake becomes aggressive. And, and instead of it just, you know, curling up and then you back away, no, it starts to come at you. I mean, and it's, I mean, this, this thing looked like it was seven, eight feet long. <laughs> it's like, Get in the Jeep. <laughs> and this is all live. And, and you, and some of the guy, it's really interesting. And I mean, so they're, they're out beaming this from, uh, you know, parts of Africa live as you're watching this and you know and so it's really interesting i mean you really you know um and and a lot of these people are professional game guides or you know uh, uh, not for hunting but um for taking tourists to for photography and then they they also are biologists and and so some of them that have had you know some really harrowing encounters you know they're <laughs> just like i just survived this and they're shaking and everything i said we're all like ah, you know, all around the world watching their huge you know snake encounters but then they come across you know the, the tiniest tortoise in the world down there in south africa and it looks like a miniature leopard tortoise and i didn't know i learned on that show that they had uh, giant leopard tortoises that about three feet large you know and and then the the ones you know yeah i mean i didn't know they got that big and and then the the ones that you normally think the biggest are like 18 inches or you know but it's really a fun show that's a good size tortoise yeah yeah and yeah the kind that you like (laughs) (laughs) yeah well the giant you gotta get a tortoise you gotta get a tortoise you know like (laughs) well not the ones that can break through a door I yeah, need to be like every good reptile breeder ever and buy a whole bunch of silcata tortoises and let them free range in my backyard and try to produce some. That's what every good reptile breeder has done. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm not condoning that. 
but Alan said he did it. So, you know, it was a failure, but he did it. All right. Well, from what I've seen about the cicadas, I said, oh my gosh. I mean, you really need to have like a zoo enclosure because they will dig, you know, those huge trenches as if you're laying in a culvert under a road. You know? and, and some like will break through standard, uh, what do you call that? The drywall, you know, or, or uh, those you know, cheap hollow uh, doors, you know, that just, oh yeah, crash. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay with small, uh, you know, well, just talking about this, those two little box turtles don't seem so, you know, <laughs> a handful, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So you mentioned uh, two, two of the snakes. What other three um, species? Oh, um, see, this is where it's going to take a slight turn. I, well, hang on. I've went both of Aspidites. What else did I say? Uh, the, the blackheads. Diamonds. Let's just, yeah, blackheads, bomas, diamonds. Let's just classify diamonds into carpet pythons in general. That's a whole genus. We'll just, yeah. We'll just <laughs> group that whole group of snakes together. It's fine. There's a whole book about them. Uh, <laughs> um, and then... A part of me, like, wants to, and I'm probably going to get shamed for saying this by somebody, but a part of me really wants to get, like, six or eight import Amazon tree boas, like, imported from the wild juveniles, and then start my own establish my own line of Amazon tree boas essentially from wild stock. I know there's okay. people doing captive breeding and maybe I maybe I should get an Amazon tree boa that's captive bred first. But I do like I, I like I like the idea like this is why I have my bull snakes, right? I like the idea of knowing where they came from. Uh, like I like the idea of having the lineage. So, like any of my animals, uh, like the bull snakes specifically, up until they were hatched, it was a wild caught mom. We have a picture of that snake. Other than that, we know where she was wild caught from, which is a really cool thing. And that's just information you don't usually get when you're buying something you know and it's something that i kind of find very interesting so it'd be nice to have all of the lineage on all of my animals and it's easy to have all the lineage of all your animals when they have came from the wild oh, and i'm well, not saying that establish oh, go for it what's your question <laughs> i i my question was uh i see i i have not studied snakes do what um, parasites and uh, illnesses do you have to worry about with wild-caught snakes? So they're definitely going to have a parasite load when they come in. Uh, like every wild animal has a parasite load. The captive-hatched bull snakes that I have, I'm not worried about that. They were captive-hatched in an environment where, like, yeah, in somebody's garage, you know, mm -hmm. in an incubator. They're fine. They don't have a parasite load. But 
something from the wild you just take a like you take a a stool sample in to your vet or send it off and they'll they'll tell you what's in there and if it needs treatment or not and you go from there um there are two <clears throat> there are two other viruses that are very well known and one is very prevalent even in captive things and i think it all comes from like the mingling of at the importer's place you know what i mean like oh we have ball pythons and tree boas and we just got all these shipments in and now all these animals are here but like there's nidovirus in in snakes and that that'll just kill them essentially they can fight it for a while but it will eventually kill them um cryptosporidium that dido is like a respiratory thing crypto is like an internal the only way to detect it's in feces um and it like nido can only be detected when it's active sometimes so like you can have animals test negative and then four months later it tests positive and like so that's really those the nido is very prevalent in like green tree pythons you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the green tree pythons and the emerald tree boas coming up and them just dying all the time, like them not being able to be established. And this this could have been a reason why, along with keeping them at 100 degrees and 100 percent humidity. That's just not how you keep those. Interesting. Yeah, I I would be afraid of the risk. I, I think that's why, you know, with my little turtle collection i've always bought captive bred <clears throat> and um you know that just dealing with these you know, wild box turtles you know the, the female let loose a tapeworm that i'm pretty sure she caught from eating a nest of pinkies out there in the wild <laughs> you know, pinky mice and you know it's like you and so i talked to the the vet about warming her and and uh he, he wanted to get her up to a certain level of health before we did that and she hasn't passed any since but you know um well if i'm gonna take the risk that's so like i i understand the risk too and that's that's a part of it but if i'm gonna take the risk i need to do it why i don't have a collection <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean really. i do have a collection now but like really i don't really have a snake collection i've got a few snakes but it, it's not like i got 40 or 50 of them and now i'm gonna bring in a wild caught so if there is a time to bring it in it would be now or <laughs> i when i have it my own it can have its own space like its own room away from the other snakes but i've i've listened to a lot of people go over like how they do imports and people who've had good success with it and I don't know, it's a challenge, and I think it's... Because, like, you're getting the animal in such bad condition. It's dehydrated. It's not okay. You know? So you have to nurse it back to health. So even if it does have parasites in it, you're not going to want to treat it right away because it's not going to be... Like, it's immune system's weak. It's, you know? So there's a whole process to it, and I think it'd be very interesting to go through that. Yeah, I would think you'd have to have a quarantine room for sure. Yeah. 
well, yeah, for sure on that. And then it'd be a year or two. And then with the, the boas and stuff, it's like emerald tree boas drop dead from the same stuff that the, that the green trees were. So does that go into Amazon's too, or are Amazon's more hardy? I don't really have the answer to that. I still need to do more research, but we have to watch more podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, Kenyan sand boas is another one that might be on the list. I like them because they're small. How small? Um, males are under two feet, under twenty inches, like maybe eighteen max. Uh, females can get three feet, but maybe two and a half, thirty inches max. So they're super small. Uh, like my my juvenile ball python enclosures that you've seen. <clears throat> just a 15 quart bin but uh that that is big enough for a male for its whole life wow like the male would have more than enough room to lay down one side like it's plenty big so yeah that's i really like the small stuff too because it doesn't take space and you can have a lot of it like i could have 15 or 20 of them and it's not as much as 15 or 20 carpet pythons at six feet you know so i don't know still working on the other two but i do want to find something small i like the small stuff i think i'm gonna go with canyons um but what i'd like to do with that is like I think it'd be nice to be able to buy like 10 or 15 of each one that I want because there's different morphs. So now we're playing the morph chase game, you know, Um, like buy 10 or 15 of each one and then sell off the ones that I don't want. If that makes sense. So like I'd get a deal on on 10 or 15 and then i could go through all of them i could pick out three females and one male that look really good that are the best looking ones and then send the rest out the door so i've thought about doing that just to be super picky about it at least then i'd have more more choices i guess so do you get to look at the individuals that you're buying or you just have to order I want this type of snake, send me 15. They don't allow you to see exactly which individuals you're buying. It depends. If you're getting, like, from a breeder who's, you know, some guy who's breeding snakes in his basement, they'll typically send you as many pictures as you ask for. It's actually the number one most complained about thing from snake breeders is everyone wants too many pictures. Um... Or they when they buy something don't i mean especially since they're breeders don't they want I, to know they're going i to don't breed? know i feel like with the ball python like the morph game the morph chasing let's just call it what it is it's the morph chasing game it doesn't matter because it's about the genetics in the thing so like it doesn't matter what your lesser ghost pinstripe zebra pin blast whatever looks like it's got these genes i want that animal you know that's all that matters it's not so yeah the morph it's that morph chasing it's that 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 
about the genes. It's not about the animal. Huh. At some point. Well, I would I would say it's about the animal because of how are those genes expressed? Is it expressed minimally? Is it is well, it like a maximum? But, but a breeder who's looking, let's say, for a six gene animal male to plug into to their females who might have only two genes and they just want a stunner male to you know a really expensive male because it's got five genes in it they don't care what it looks like they're just going after those genes so they can put those genes in to their projects to make what they want it doesn't mean that the snake's not cool looking because the snake is probably cool looking too but yeah, and the likelihood of you finding that certain six or five gene animal that you want, you're going to find the one you want, and that's about it, you know? It's not like six gene animals are just a plenty floating around or anything. Well, do most breeders then want to go to reptile expos, um, or are they content with just ordering essentially you know, online and having it shipped to them? I, what do they really prefer? I don't know for the... My experience is going to be through the lens of listening to people talk on podcasts. Um, so there's some people who, like, that's all they do is the shows. And that's how they make all their money, is the shows. And, like, without the shows, they wouldn't be able to do it any way in the way that they do it at all. Like, and then there's other, there's other people who only go online. So it's, it's really kind of person dependent. And I think most of the, most of the bigger names go to the shows and it's a time for them to meet with their friends and hang out and reminisce with their buddies, you know, cause they don't all know each other, you know, they're friends. They go come to this expo every year and meet up with their buddies, have some beers and talk about their reptiles, you know? So I, you know, I, I know, um, I, I was just wondering, you know, like, this is how they like to sell. How do they like to buy is, I guess, I guess you know, it goes both ways. Cause you know, uh, they, people didn't like to buy online. Morph market wouldn't be there. And if people didn't like the shows, the shows wouldn't be around anymore. So I think the, the access to be able to buy things online because it used to only be you go to the show right and then you had to know a guy or two or whatever to get more things because they didn't have you know you remember back when there was no internet peggy you're pre-internet <laughs> yeah it's for sure yeah yes yeah i yeah, am <laughs> barely not pre-internet but I remember a time, barely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our intergenerational podcast here. <laughs> Heck yeah. I'm grade school in the 60s, folks. And so, yeah, you know, if, uh, well, I don't think we have, I don't think I ever bought a snake. I just caught a whole heck of a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, we should change that, Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> Joe would say no. <laughs> right, really? Right. The, well, the bird guy doesn't want a snake. That's kind of. <laughs> well, when I met him, he had three snakes. Well, you know, he and his mom—they're both really into snakes. And uh, I was surprised he didn't want to, you know, bring them, 
you know, here, you know, but he, oh yeah, I think his, I, his mom would have been upset being without the snakes, <laughs> but then they both ended up selling them. So, um, I, I guess, uh, you know, Joel, when he moved, you know, in with me, it was, uh, getting to know all the horses and horse training and horse breeding and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, uh, I was really, you know, down on, uh, I don't know, at the time, I don't, I don't think I had turtles. I think I, I had sold all my turtles. And, uh, when I got that huge sculpture commission and then, so I just had the horses and the dogs. And then when I sold the horses, I had empty nest syndrome and I had to get back into turtles. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. oh man. Do you think you could dig a hole in your yard and then do like some sort of fencing or wood to fill said hole back in and then put the turtles in that and maybe even put pipe down at the bottom? You know what I mean? Like make a make an already dugout for them so they don't have to have a dugout that's underground and just leave them outside. You, you talk about the box turtles? Yeah. Uh, uh, the one, blind, well, one's completely, totally blind. Okay. Uh, and the other, and he'll never have uh, a bacterium totally had eaten his eyes away. Yeah. And so I don't know if he'd be able to find that tunnel. Well, you could I'm probably sure. just take him out of there and put him in the fridge. Yeah. Like brewmate him, you know. I know, and, like, put them in the fridge sounds bad, but <laughs> that's fine. what you do. I mean, like, 45, 50 degrees, that's all yeah. it needs. And, I, and I'm actually, sadly, thinking the female, um, you know, she was the one run over by the car. And she can, you know, went out in the yard and when I put her in the grass, she actually uses all four of her feet. Now inside, you know, it's she'll oscillate between just pulling herself forward with her front or not use her front and then just pushing herself forward with her hind. It's like she, it's like, I think she had brain damage, you know, cause it, her jaw was broken and I, there's something not connected there. And yet she enjoys eating. She eats like a baby bird, you know, so she's not giving up, but I just don't know how, how far, how long do I let her try to get a life back? You know what I mean? Yeah. You were discussing that with Mike. Yeah. I remember yeah. back on that episode. What a how yeah. has so it I, progressed? Has it gotten any better since then or well, not at all. And so I'm 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 gonna give her one more season and I think Samson, the, the male, may, you know, put them together, see if there's an interaction that will spur her, you know, into more activity. Because it, it did when I first got him. She started using all of her legs you know, to get away from him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, he wasn't mounting her or anything. He was just, you know, sniffing her. And, and I think she was more, you know, aged and, and could tell like, Oh, I don't want anything of, of this right now. And, uh, and so every now and then I put them together to, you know, just so that she gets stimulated more. Um, and you know, but she just usually sits, you know, I have to pick her up, put her in her water, you know, count an hour, take her out you know, then feed her, put her back in the water to clean her, um, put her under her heat lamp. I mean, there's, she doesn't move around enough to even, um, regulate her temperature or regulate her water intake. And it's like, you know, 
I don't know what kind of quality of life she could be other than, you know, could she produce eggs? Could she yeah. have enough interior muscle structure to release those eggs, you know, and get babies out of her to, you know, because, you know, these turtles are becoming more rare here in South Dakota. You know, what, but then I feel like I'm doing that, you know, not for her. Possibly. Yeah, no, you're, I feel like that's, that's almost worse for her. Yeah. He's clearly not in a condition to exactly a condition so, to do that, you know. Yeah, and you know, I've I've had to euthanize some turtles that people brought to me that were injured beyond. You know, you could tell that their main organs were gone, and so you know, I put them in our deep freezer, and uh, that way, you know, put them out of their misery. And we'll see, we'll see what this spring brings, and I'll and summer and see what. I need to do about her, but you know, the game and fish had sent me another email and, and, you know, really interested in setting up an insurance colony for the, the box turtle. So, yeah. So couldn't we just dig a hole in your yard? Like back to that, back to the keeping of the box turtles in your yard, Peggy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, 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 we could, we could make that a project and with healthy box turtles. Yes. No, um, don't put the, don't breed the bad ones. Right, yeah. You know, <laughs> with, on the bad turtles. They're just... Kind of, yeah, well... You kind of probably I, want the best-looking, the healthiest stock and, for and this Sam's project. Blind, the blind one. He is really handsome. He's got a bright green head and, you know, and, and a beautiful carapace of black and golds. And, and he runs around the house like he owns the place. Um, but, you know, he's he, he is a fun turtle to have around. Um, I just wouldn't trust um and i'll have to do some i'll have to uh, sample the the um ants that we have that are so aggressive um uh you know would the turtles be safe hibernating you know in our yard with those types of ants because they could just eat them alive in the winter and and that's been known to happen and so um i'll have to ask you know take a sampling of the ants um, you know, cause we've, we've got at least seven species that show themselves to, uh, can't, uh, have ant wars <laughs> you know? and, and then, uh, they really latch on to, you know, I had to save one of my cats and just hose her down from an attack from ants. And Dang. yeah, I mean, I mean, these are, these, that's crazy. Actually, these half inch big red and black ants that build you know, three foot mounds. It's like, where, where'd they come from Africa? (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, I, I borrowed my neighbor's chickens, which decimated those ants. You know, it was really great. I mean, they just (laughs) tore into them and ate them and, and, uh, and and they've gotten rid of those nests. But, you know, I, you know, I, I would, you know, I, I'd like for them to be outside, but I really, I, I can't, uh, monitor them underground, you know, to find you know, what those ants would be doing to them. So maybe we could just pull them out in the winter time and fridge them. Yeah. And then, I, yeah. you know. Yeah, have a great, you know, spring, summer, fall habitat, and then, you know, early fall depends. <laughs> you know, we don't have one of those September 5th blizzards. <laughs> uh, no, it was September 7th. It was last year, I think. But uh, yeah, I, 
uh, we've got one habitat nearly completed that's uh, eight foot by eight foot, and we're going to put um, uh, the the shade is provided uh, from this um, garden, uh, what do you call it, raised garden bed with shade underneath and the water underneath there, and and there's going to be a door so that uh, raccoons can't get into them, fox and raccoons, and so it's going to be you know our our garden. Um, along the walls, and then on this raised bed, and then the the you know, the turtle, the box turtles can um, you know, exist underneath. And then we're going to do the same for the aquatic turtles. Um, build a habitat similar like that with four by four upward posts and uh, half inch woven wire. And uh, and only oh, that one's going to be. See what did we measure that out to be? Sixteen by twenty two. Um, because we, we want to have a pond in there that you're going to help me build mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and have a shallow end for the box turtles and then have that fenced off and then the deeper end for the aquatic turtles. That's our, and then again, have that with, um, raised flower beds and, and flower, uh, or not flower beds, garden beds for growing vegetables. And, uh, and the same with making walled. Um, vegetable growing things. So it, it becomes something that we can keep our cats and the neighborhood cats away from putting their doo-doos in our food, <laughs> you know, digging, you know, we, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, the, and it's suspended above the turtle. So, you know, just pull off the greens, throw it down to the, the box turtles and then take the rest in. So we got a lot of plans to you know, house the creatures, you know, larger, better, bigger, and, and then also grow food for ourselves and protect it from the birds and the cats. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. Because if you could keep them outside and then get them a nice little mini fridge that you can set to 50 degrees or 45 or whatever, you yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. Then, then they shouldn't really be too hard, you know? Yeah. It should and be fairly that, easy. Yeah, I and I should do that. You know, it, um, Samson's well enough, according to the vet, that he he would take a, a fridge brumation really well, um, but not Boxy, the one that was hit by the car. She has yeah. to be monitored daily. You know, just, um, well, no, if you're picking her up to feed her and picking her up to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, she's she's. Uh, I, I just don't think I, I think there was a lot of more organ damage than we real you know, that we real you know, we don't know the extent um, completely of you know damaged kidneys or you know or lung damage or anything from that car strike. But, you know, I've had her X-rayed, and you can't really you know unless you do a, an MRI, <laughs> and I'm not paying for a turtle MRI. Yeah, <laughs> you know to find out if there's any organ damage that that we don't know about so yeah if i had the space to keep them inside and i could do a big huge table i would i wouldn't mind but yeah i'm not there yet you could have samson because he's only in a a, an 18 by 24 tub like you keep your snakes (laughs) and then you know and then uh you know like tomorrow's feeding day and i'll then i take him out and let him run around the house with the new dog who's very Prey oriented. I. Uh, <laughs> that's that's going to be interesting. Yeah, he's going to go out in the yard with our six foot vents, 
and uh, and then uh, Samson can have his run of the house. But um, yeah, because it, it, you know the older dog, he's just like eh, whatever. Even when Samson comes and lays beside her, <laughs> curls up in all that white fluff of the spit's hair. <laughs> you know, she just like. And she looks at him and then lays he lays down and lets him sleep there. <laughs> you know, but this this uh, little brown coyote, <laughs> I have a feeling he'll think that that's lunch. <laughs> so uh, I have to really watch him in the turtle room. And so far he hasn't showed interest. He he, he cocked his head when he was watching Samson move about in his tub where he, he's got a, a little, um, what do you call those, uh, uh, bass, uh water dishes where the turtles can crawl up and then crawl down into the water. And she was wa- or he was watching Samson do that. And then he'd, he'd come back out, go to his feeding dish, and then there's a little around the corner is his little cave. And he's quite content in, in that little place. And then when, it, when he starts getting antsy, I know it's time to take him out and let him roam the house. <laughs> it's amazing how, I mean, he's, he's, he, he seems like he's completely brave and, and, and he's got to have radar or something, or maybe see light and dark. Um, I, I wave my finger by his eye, and he doesn't respond. But then, then I I touch his leg, and he goes, "Oh, you're there," you know. So I can't figure out what, how, when he's running running around the house, why he doesn't run in anything. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's he's amazing. But yeah, I'm just I, I'm just not used to having this many rescues at one time and so um yeah and so i'm a little uh, over turtled <laughs> <laughs> so after last week's episode and talking about like the bigger monitors and how they're they think do you we didn't ask bill but do you think that turtles have a little bit more going on upstairs than i mean uh, i i know one of my painted turtles does um uh, he, um, he, he figures things out faster. Um, he knows that, and he's more brave. And so, you know, um, you know, uh, I've made, um, covers for their ponds out there where the, the raccoons or fox couldn't get at them, but the snakes do make it in. And one of my friends was saying that one snake wrapped around her goldfish and killed it even though the goldfish seemed way too big for this baby snake <laughs> I'm like oh geez you know that could now that we've got lots of snakes out in our yard you know that could happen with my small turtles you know um you know could the snake hold the turtle underwater while while its head is above water you know who knows but <laughs> but this turtle the, the brilliant one <laughs> he uh he sees a snake and he goes oh no no not not you are not going to get by with invading us and just goes and, you know, attacks. And, you know, and, and I think the snake was in there wanting to hunt his smaller runted buddy that has never grown more than three inches. He's, he, he was, um, a, a, a 2018 baby and he just, he grew to three inches and just stopped this little Midland turtle. I think he'd be a good pet for somebody. <laughs> and maybe uh, we should open maybe we should open a pet shop actually <laughs> yeah well so so the one that's really smart he'll i just put my hand in the water he'll sw- he'll swim right into my palm and then and look at me and i can feed him uh a, a, a t- 
tidbit of food. He'll back up out of, you know, and I've got my palm halfway, you know, in, in the water. He'll swallow and then he'll come, come up onto my wrist and beg for more. No other painted turtle is that bold and knows. And, and But he's learned that. I've tried to show it to the others and they're just like, oh, you know, we're just going to nip your fingers. But he, he knows exactly. Yeah, I've shown, I, you know, I you know, trained him how to do that. And the others just will not learn how to do that. But I was in the National Enquirer. That's what Al brought up. You know, he yeah. Said, oh, yeah, you're talking about Sheldon. You're, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was I Jimmy. remember that conversation. That was yeah, that was Jimmy that uh, I had for ten years. That I trained him to stand up and bang on his hind legs and roll over. And he was he he was another spark of a painted turtle. And and now I have you know this guy who is is that way. And yeah, this this one that I have now, the brainiac one, is you know Doctor Sheldon Cooper, and then his little miniature friend. You know, is Leonard Doctor Leonard Hofstadter, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, the real brilliant one, yeah, is the one that just you can teach him. You know, target train him. I, it, it's just you know, he's really unique, and uh, um, so maybe I, should, uh, yeah, I got to get a hold of National Enquirer. Like, remember back in eighty, what was that? Eighty <laughs> nine? No, 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 seventy nine. Back in seventy nine. <laughs> When he ran that article on me, <laughs> on, on my pit turtles. I'm sure it's all the same people working there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will have to take pictures of that and, and put it on Instagram of that, uh, you know, that, that National Enquirer article of me, the turtle trainer. <laughs> that was pretty fun. But, and, and then to have David, ah, look what we have here, Mike. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Awesome, dude. I am so sorry. I I've just had a... saw your message. I thought that was going to be more of a, uh, I can't make it tonight. Don't, don't worry about it, dude. We're in the middle of, we're in the middle of recording. We'll, we'll just do a one-on-one. -on -one. It's okay. My bad. Well, I'm I'm here now, so I'm yeah. happy to come back another time if you guys want to make up for this hey, one. Well, but uh, <laughs> well, you're here. I am you're here now. Here. So yes, it's, I and and you, yeah. I, We're hoping you didn't have a, a reptile or amphibian emergency that that need attending. No, not directly. Just uh, life stuff and work and all the all the <laughs> the the good stuff of you know real life, not. Not reptile life. <laughs> now, I was watching your your uh, your uh, YouTube video feeding your 100 animals, and it's like, oh my gosh! <laughs> yes, it is a large undertaking. <laughs> well, uh, well, and then filming it on top of it has has to be even well because you do like your reptile rooms who are like every month almost. Yeah, I tried to do it most months. Some months, I mean, like now with the trip to Madagascar and then coming back and started a new job. So it was uh, pretty, pretty hectic. But uh, <laughs> yeah, other than that, it, it worked out. So how long were you in Madagascar? Uh, we were there for two weeks. Oh. And, right. did you, and did you, I, I saw how you were really um, focusing on the chameleons. Um, are you going to, um, uh, focus on other species too yeah so that was just kind of like a quick need to get it done uh <laughs> get a video out type video 
Um, but the, the next video that I have coming is like, I spent probably five or six hours alone just on the introduction of the video. So it's been, uh, it'll be a much more well-rounded video, I guess. And, and it's more of like a story than it is just like a, Hey, there's this chameleon and this chameleon and this chameleon. It's more of a, a full story of the whole, not the whole trip, but it'll be a good portion of the, probably the first half or so of the trip. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a blast. I bet oh, okay. the, this comes out in 10 days. I release on Wednesday and I give myself 10 days. So I'm sure that'll be out. Yes. Or close to it. I, yeah, it better be out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I know you were saying on your live that you were worried about like switching styles or approaches in your video. Uh, so is that more based on like the the story of the trip versus what you usually do? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of I did, I kind of was in and out of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it's more so just the the issue of a lot of people don't really care, I guess. Like as many people as there are that are kind of invested in it and and there to see the trip and and there is definitely those people but just you know the vast majority of the reptile room tour or the feeding videos or whatever don't really care like they're there more for entertainment than either education or uh you know a travel journey i suppose that's what i like to watch like i really don't watch much animal youtube at all uh i might watch Dion adam's videos and that's pretty much it every now and then like i'll watch a brian barcheck video or something like that but beyond that there's really not much that i watch so um making a different style is definitely it's more like in tune with me like i enjoy the art of making a video and i enjoy watching a video even on dion and adam's channel like with their videos from madagascar they've definitely put a lot more editing and focus into it than in past videos especially adam's channel or adam's video that he posted and to me like i noticed the little sound effects or whatever's going on in the background like maybe not everybody does but i know that all that stuff is put in like a drone shot there's no sound with so any sound associated with the drone water rudder blades like whatever's going on is all edited in so that's that's kind of the the beauty to me at least well, let's. Um, I'd like to have you introduce yourself. You know, like, yeah. you know, who who you are, what you do, what got you into the, the reptile hobby, and mm-hmm. and how it has, you know, uh, benefited you. And uh, let's hear about yourself. Kind of yeah, got right sure. to the questions. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, again, I apologize for being late. I was like in. I was dealing with this, and I was like, was there something I was supposed to do today? <laughs> I can't remember because I had a crazy day at work and I just got home was just dead tired. And then I looked at my phone and there was the message like, Hey, here's the link. I was like, Oh no, that was today. I thought that was next week. Uh, anyways, yes, myself. Uh, my name is Mike Titula, uh, alpha reptile on YouTube, in, uh, Instagram. Um, and my name's Mike. I've been into reptiles since I was about eight years old. So coming on two decades here. And I've had them since the age of eight. I could pronounce every dinosaur, but at the age of like two or three, uh, better than even my parents could. And now don't quiz me because nope. 
<laughs> but uh, at the time, yeah. And yeah, I've just been basically following the passion of reptiles my whole life. I got a bachelor's of science in biology. Um, I have done working in the world's second largest pet store. I worked there for about six, six years. Um, What's that one? It's called Pisces Pet Emporium. I do I do have a video on my channel kind of highlighting the store and sharing it off. And they have like marmosets. They have a massive 30-foot tall kind of waterfall in the store. Um, Where's that at? Yeah. Uh, it's in Calgary, Alberta. <laughs> wow. Just north of here, Peggy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where are you guys? We're in the Black Hills in South Dakota. So okay, so yeah, it'd be northwest. Yeah, yeah, and a little, a little west. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. clients in Calgary. They've got a great bronze boundary in Calgary. So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yep. But, yeah. So I well, yeah. I'll have to look and and, and go on. That, that sounds great. Yeah. So yeah. I, I worked there for six years. Um, all throughout my university degree, I then graduated university. Uh, went on a couple trips with some friends, went to Toledo, Ohio to go see like the behind the scenes tour of their aquarium or their zoo there. I went to Troy Goldberg's house, a, a fellow dart frogger. I went to Phoenix and I went to Costa Rica. So that was uh, one heck of a summer. I <laughs> I have yet to top <laughs> a summer like that. And it wasn't even that long. I think that was all in the span of like a month and a half or something. Um, Holy cow. And then after that, pandemic hit, and I started dating my girlfriend, Bree, and eventually ended up moving out here to Ontario. I have been here ever since, and that's kind of where we were able to put all of our efforts and, and stuff into the reptile room that we have now. We have probably... I, I don't even know how many animals at this point. No babies, so the numbers aren't like as high as they can get. But um, yeah, we're we're pretty much sold out of of offspring to sell. But in general, it's it's been good. So, is your new job um, reptile or animal related? Um, kinda not really. No, it is animal related. But it's not uh, reptile related directly, at least. I basically work for a company that makes various different tracking devices, essentially, for many different animals, anywhere from like a butterfly all the way to uh, like lions and cheetahs. So I work in the freshwater department as well as the marine. So I deal with a lot of like dolphins, not not hands on, but like dealing with customers that uh, are are researching dolphins seals fish uh there's been a few frog species and i just started like two weeks ago so (laughs) that's about it so the tracking devices you know for biologists to do research you know that sort of thing yes correct yeah it they log various different things uh whether it's just literally like a gps location or uh they also have like a light calculated so basically whenever the light is hitting the tracker it shows through an algorithm where they are in the world that's pretty cool yeah it's pretty wild (laughs) so like you've been on youtube for a really really long time 
Yes, a very long time. Yes. Um, I found you probably when you had like 1K subs. Nice. At some point in there. Holy. So, yeah, yeah. Maybe three. I don't know. Somewhere in there. Um, you said I sound familiar. I do have two YouTube videos. Um, okay. Under Black Hills Reptile. Right. And you may have seen those because those came out about the same time you were starting your channel. So I was going to do YouTube about the same time you were. And then I didn't. And you did. So hmm. kind of interesting to see the difference. We still yeah. both have day jobs. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. We both still do. Um, <laughs> so are you, you? Yeah, you are. You're you're getting back into dart frogs. You got a big, huge order. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, uh, that was a. Are, are dart frogs dart. your favorite or of all the um, I like their enclosures the best. Like they're the most fun for me because I'm truly like a really big plant nerd and uh, orchid enthusiast, and I just love like the jungle. So. To me, they are like a perfect pet that I can make a really cool enclosure and then just toss a couple tiny frogs in there and they love it and enjoy it. Um, yeah, in that sense, they're probably my favorite. I, obviously, they're not really that social or interactable. So in the kind of social sense of the reptile keeping and, and like connection, I suppose, if you want to call it with your animals, they're pretty much at the bottom of the list, but uh, in general, they, uh, I love them. Like the beautiful colors, the various, I mean, basically whatever you can think of that color exists and you can get it. So yeah, for various prices, obviously, but <laughs> do you, do you find, uh, do you find that like they're uh, once you get them set up, kind of animal they're they're good to go kind of like like a green tree it's hard to dial in but once it's dialed in it's good to go or are they just overall a little like how is keeping them um, more of the question. I, I would say pretty easy unless you have like a really warm home then i i would argue that they're one of the easier species especially if you're looking to do more of like a naturalistic or bioactive setup i would argue if you're trying to just set up a sterile sterile enclosure for them like why bother like the yeah the, the whole picture of the enclosure really is part of keeping them and i think that's really what makes it special so you know why are you just throwing this little frog into a 10 gallon tank on paper towel permanently uh if you're not breeding them like i know there's some people that do that with tree frogs and whatnot and it seems to work very well so you know to each their own but in my case of dart frogs yeah, you gotta you gotta have the nice enclosure and and once you get that dialed in, like room temps, some lights on top, some cool plants, and you're good to go. Wow. Now, do different species of the dart frogs breed more readily, um, and and than than others? Yes, yes, very much so. So there's various different genuses within the kind of dart frog family. Um, the phyllobates, like the massive ones that you see, the phyllobates terribilis, they tend to have larger clutch sizes and tend to have more offspring than a lot of the other ones. 
probably the least fecundant or, or like producing of the dart frogs are the Ufaga genus. So basically the ones that feed their tadpoles uh, eggs are pretty slow. Like you might get three to maybe 10 on a good year um, from a pair of those. Like 10 would be a lot, especially for like the large obligates. So the large Ufaga species. Um, there's some smaller ones that tend to be a little bit more reproductive, but in general, they definitely are much less. Whereas like the phyllobates that I mentioned, you could have 40 eggs in one clutch. Yeah. Now, wow. they feed their tadpoles eggs. Could you expound on that? <laughs> yeah. So the Ufaga, the large obligates or the obligate egg eaters, like Ufaga means egg eating in Latin or Greek or one of the the languages that is not spoken anymore. Um, and it basically involves the uh, female laying clutch of eggs, the male fertilizing it. Once the tadpoles develop, both sexes, typically the uh, the male, but there's been recordings of both uh, sexes, will transport those tadpoles to a water pool, typically in either a bromeliad or um, some species do it in like heliconia, and that's where they basically raise them. So then every day to every few days, the female will come by and lay X amount of infertile eggs in with the tadpole. The tadpole will consume those and grow into a frog. Wow. Yeah. That's good. That's really interesting. It's uh, a lot more I, brain power I, than I expected <clears throat> to need at this hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for providing that. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Yeah, I, I've not studied frogs, even our local frogs. And one thing in, in talking with you froggers, as you called yourself, is I had no idea that they can live as long as they do. Um, yeah, I was thinking, you know, three, four years, you know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it does the the age um, uh, that that they can live to vary also in the species of um, dart frogs. Yeah, I, like truthfully, I don't think there's a lot of species in the hobby as our care evolves their life expectancy just kind of slowly creeps higher and higher. Um, I think that is mostly true for dart frogs as well. Like Ranitomea, the small kind of thumbnail genus are typically in and around like the 10 year mark, somewhere around there. Um, but I'm pretty sure one of the oldest breeding pairs of the Dendrobates tinctorius, like the, the kind of more common ones that you see, um, is like 24 and still breeding. From what I Holy know. Cow. Yeah. So I, I don't know how accurate that, I, that is. I might have just pulled that out from nowhere, but I'm pretty sure I heard some of my friends and, and reputable frog people talking about a number in the 20s for sure. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard that on another podcast and I went, what? <laughs> yeah. I would never, never guess that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Even me, I first got into like researching them and you hear about all the, you're like, I want a dart frog. And you're like, wait, what is a tinctorious and a a bumblebee? And they're all the same. And, and then you go down that road. And, and yeah, hearing people talk about their life expectancy, I was like, wait, these aren't like a five to 10 year pet. These are like a lifetime commitment almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. do do they cycle or do they just constantly go? 
can produce. Ideally day cycle, but yes, there are definitely some people, um, if you're keeping them kind of with like an automatic mister or whatever, where it doesn't change yearly, then a lot of times they just continually produce. Um, especially with dart frogs, they tend to be on the better side of kind of regulating that in that they will stop for a couple months here and there, regardless if you change anything. But getting them started again can be troublesome if there's not like a climactic shift. Um, like here, and I imagine where you guys are too, it gets fairly cold in the wintertime. So even if your house drops, you know, a couple degrees uh, at nighttime, sometimes that's enough to kind of trigger them. Or a lot of people will also not stop misting, but maybe mist once or twice a week instead of once or twice a day. So that's kind of the climactic shifts that they go through. Okay. So now with with your uh, reptile room, I, I noticed you had lizards and and snakes and the uh, the frogs in there too. Um, so you, you're controlling their cycling in each of your habitats or do you have like a um uh you set up your habitats to be climatic like here's you know here's the ones that will all cycle at this time even though they're of different species you know um you know how are you organizing typically we temperature sex or temperature cycle them i guess um and at the winter time we also light cycle them so we have during summer the lights are typically on for 12 to 14 hours a day and then during the winter time this year we dropped it back to eight hours a day uh or maybe even 10 hold on let me think no eight hours a day um and then we're slowly ramping it back up now uh last year i think we even went down to like six hours a day um, but just because of our work schedule and stuff, it's, it's weird to do that now, but I think depending on how this year goes, we'll see which light schedule, I guess, worked better and we'll go from there. And then the other one is the temperature, as I mentioned, and it typically hits, oh man, I don't like low sixties, I guess, on the bottom shelf of the racks. So we keep the animals that typically need to drop a little bit lower down there and then this year, in some cases, we actually like the the turtles, the geomitis spangleri that I have, as well as the hog noses. We literally put them in bins and put them out right next to a window where it hits like 52, 50 degrees, somewhere around there. Um, and yeah, hopefully that works out. I would love to have some baby turtles this year. <laughs> so now, um, with the turtles, how long do you leave them at 50 some degrees? Like three months. Three months. So are you doing then the standard, your standard Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day or? Kind of. We, and mis miscommunication between my partner and I, we basically stopped feeding them around like mid-October, late October, uh, and then put them down to much cooler temperatures kind of end of December. So they had a very gradual slope downwards. And then now they've been sitting at the the 51-ish, 51 to 53, depending on how cold it is outside. Um, temperatures for just after I left Madagascar. So like literally the day after I left. Uh, so almost two months now. 
and that will be pretty much the time like around the end of this month is when i'll just pull them out uh we temperature we occasionally like every two weeks or three weeks we go through and just take some weights make sure they're hydrated do a health check look at them that kind of deal and everybody's still good yeah. Do, you, do you ever feel over-animaled? <laughs> I mean, uh, so... Recently, yes. N- not, like, we're typically pretty in tune. Like, being two of us, my girlfriend and I having one room, it does help that there's two. Obviously, if I was myself, there's no way I'd have all the snakes and stuff. Like, I would probably have my few snakes that I have and not too many more. Um, but because Brie is the the big hog nose addict of the family, uh, she she loves the hogs and and that's what we breed primarily. So uh, it it works out that way. But yes, like especially since you know working full time, doing the YouTube, running the reptile room downstairs, it doesn't leave much time left in the day to really, I guess, detach. Especially when it's a, a social media type gig, you're out doing podcasts or on zoom calls or whatever you might be doing. And, and, uh, it doesn't leave too much time left <laughs> in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, we were just talking earlier before you, uh, came on that, you know, I, I'm easily over, um, over run with animals because, you know, people bring me injured animals and, uh, mostly, you know, the turtles and the snakes and, and things. And, and you, I don't plan on them. They just all of a sudden, wham, they're there, especially when the, you know, during the egg laying season, and every, you know, the snakes and turtles are on the road. And I just didn't know if, uh, you know, like when, when I see people like you that are really, really deeply involved in this, it's like, there has to be a time when they will say like, Oh, I, I got to do this. And, you know, before I can start shutting down for the day <laughs> and it, it, it's kind of overwhelming at times. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I don't ever find myself really hating it, but it's just the issue of, of, you know, Oh, I, I really should build this tank. But for somebody like me who I love that, like artistic expression, I suppose of, of building a new vivarium, um, when the barrier to entry involves filming, because especially for like the builds that I'm doing now, or I'm about to do now, um, it's like a very fleeting feeling where I'm like, I really want to do this. And then I think about filming. It's like, Nope, not tonight. (laughs) Like that's just what happens, unfortunately. And, and if it was a more kind of trivial tank or whatever, like I built a nice vivarium right over here for my girlfriend's frogs. That was fun. Like I didn't have to film it. I, I built the tank from scratch. I set the tank up. I did it all myself. I planted it. I gave it to her sitting on her desk. Like, that was fun, but there's always that little kind of demon on your shoulder being like, you should have filmed it, you idiot. Like, <laughs> you know, this is a cool tank. People would have enjoyed to see this, but you know, at a certain point you just got to do it for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta do those things for you in order to continue to enjoy it for everybody else. And exactly. that's, that's completely understandable. Yeah. And that's kind of like what the trips we do are, are for. Um, like, you know, disconnecting from the 
reptiles and whatnot. I mean, even surrounding yourself with other reptiles, but from the like grind of the room and stuff for even a week or even a few days is just like, ah. like when you have a free weekend and you've done all the reptile chores and, you know, you go in there for maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, just to mist and kind of look at people or the reptiles, then it's great. But yeah. when you, uh, you have to kind of struggle through it throughout the week, it's not so great. How much local herping do you and your partner do? Almost zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. We we went out once last year to do it. Um but truthfully, like unless it's a really scheduled thing and like a social event with friends, it's challenging for us um to find or I guess make the time to like you know what, let's leave our own reptiles and all the things that we have to do to go and find some other ones outside. <laughs> oh, man. Tachydermis. Tachydermis. Tachydermis, yeah. yes. The, the grass lizards, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, these guys, you, you, really, you really talk them up on your channel. Like, like yep. so much so that I have seen them in Petco and almost gotten them, um, <laughs> just because of you. So, uh, they're like little monitors and like, I, I guess, yeah. Yep. Mike, Mike, Mike always says they're like little monitors and they come out and eat on his hand and stuff. Oh my, yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah, so they're, they're really, really cool. Uh, I have two species. I have um, one that's called the green grass lizards, I guess. There's not very good common names, but there's Tachydromus smaragdinus. Uh, and then there's the other species, Tachydromus dorsalis. The dorsalis kind of look, I guess, like body shape and size, similar to like a green anole, but their tail is, you know, like this long. Um, and then the smaragdinus are much smaller, so yeah. Are they? Uh, do you keep them for the the same reasons of, or do you do you enjoy keeping them for uh, for the same reasons you do the dart frogs, the enclosure, the enclosure building, and they're they're kind of smaller. Um, you kind of got that style of that smaller exoterra build animals going on yeah for now like they they definitely do do very well in like a large enclosure they're so active that they'll use every square inch of whatever size enclosure you can provide for them um a lot of like the tachydromus people that keep them on the forums and on facebook and stuff have like massive three by three by three enclosures like huge nice displays for them unfortunately we just don't have the space to give them that but like when we have our own place and and we have the space to do that, they will definitely be getting a larger tank because they they use every inch. Like if if the walls are climbable, they are zipping up and down them, eating crickets, grabbing things off the wall, just going crazy. Um, the dorsalis themselves are much more handleable and tame. Dare I say, they're very kind of chill to an extent where they'll come and check you out and they'll hop on your hand, they'll look at you dead in the eye and. Wow. You know, like the other day I had even one of the babies that hatched four months ago, maybe somewhere around there, um, like jumped out of the enclosure after a cricket landed on the ground 
And typically, you know, when any small lizard of any kind hits the ground, it's just a mad dash, freaking out, panic to find something. But uh, he literally kind of scuttled onto the rack and Brie was sitting across the room so she could see him. And she just said, he's looking right at you. I was like, really? <laughs> okay, interesting. So I like held down a cricket and he just waddled over to it, hopped onto my hand, grabbed the cricket, and I just put him back in the wow. enclosure. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. And the, and the, That's we really don't spend awesome. a lot of time with each individual animal really working with them. Um, but even the time that we do dedicate, like that's, that's pretty good. You know, if, if I can do that, then somebody who has, you know, a couple pets that that is truly their animal, I suppose could make it as tame as, as any, you know, wow. intelligent monitor or anything like that. That's awesome. That would be way more, uh, way more accessible than a monitor um yeah <laughs> we, we just had bill bradley on and he's got a whole bunch of big monitors and he's a big stuff guy yeah so. yeah I, yeah i we live in that small log cabin and we can't do the bigs <laughs> yeah but exactly and that's that's what we love like i'd rather provide a kind of average size enclosure for a smaller animal, so then that animal has space to go and and do it, you know. Yeah. Be well, them, yeah. And and do you have a chair in your <clears throat> reptile room where you can just sit and just you know just and you know have sit back with the brew and just watch the them them enjoy their their world, so to speak. Yeah, I'll I'll do that occasionally on weekends and stuff. I have a little like rolly ottoman that's meant to be for your feet, but I just kind of roll it around the room and I'll feed them or I'll miss them just so I get that activity of watching them uh, do whatever, drink off water droplets or hunt fruit flies or whatever it might be. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I love to do. Yeah. Do you still have your uh, your PG banded iguana? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The the one thing we can't have. Yeah. <laughs> one of them. Well, one of many probably, yeah. but the yeah that uh, iguanids are something that I've looked into because I'm not super a big fan of bugs and I don't want to feed bugs and I, I just uh, I've had leopard geckos, I've bred leopard geckos, I've done I've done lizards, I just if it cannot do bugs I'm, i'll be much happier um the iguana because they're they're vegeta vegetarians that's so i've thought about getting iguanas before in that mm -hmm. aspect but they're huge and well like a green iguana yeah <laughs> yeah like truthfully it's a really of huge shame that the u.s can't own them because they are truly in my opinion the perfect iguana they stay relatively small. Even if you have some savage one that bites you, like sure, maybe it'll give you a, a deep enough cut for a couple stitches, but it's not going to, you know, dismember your arm or take apart part of your face or anything like that. Like a, the power of a male green iguana could do pretty easily. Um, they're very chill i guess kind of almost sedentary like they pick their spot they sit they bask they walk over to another spot and they just sit there 
and until either we come up with food or or maybe something scares it or whatever and and he zooms away but beyond that they're like pretty pretty nonchalant and tolerant of most things like ours came to us as i guess like a sub-adult to an adult and wasn't really all that tame at all but just having him in the room and and hanging out with us he tamed down to like hopping on your shoulder, hanging out, like to the point of where it was kind of an issue because we'd have people when we're away or whatever, come to look after the collection. And, <laughs> and they were like, be careful. He's not aggressive, but he will come out and hop out and hang around and that kind of deal. So that I guess has kind of rectified itself now that he's in his larger enclosure. Um, he's not in the room, like he's just outside the room. So we're not pestering him and sitting in front of him for hours and hours every day. So he's a little bit more timid or yeah, I guess timid is a good word for it, but uh, he's still, you know, you get your arm in there and he'll still hop out and every now and then we'll take him out and kind of hang in the reptile room with him. If we know we're going to be in there for a while. So what are your, what are your goals now? You know, with the job and is, is to, roll on, roll on, or, um, are you, are you, you're saying you were changing things up a little bit. Uh, what avenue are you going into? Um, I, I would just say I am trying to be more diligent, I guess. Like I don't want to be the person that bumps numbers. Like I know that the reptile room tours, you know, the more animals you have, the more impressive it is. And that's cool and good, but that's why I try and put that message in there of, you know, this isn't for everybody. This is a full-time job on top of another full-time job on top of another full-time job. Like if you're trying to do YouTube, that is difficult. Uh, if you're doing all the, you know, the, the reels and the shorts and the TikTok and the Instagram just in general, and now YouTube shorts and all this stuff, like it's crazy. Um, so kind of the goal for the future is especially this year, really get upgrades done, get the tanks that we need built, built. We really don't have plans to add pretty much anything other than maybe like a hog nose or two just for breeding. Um, is there anything else I'm missing? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, we do have a uh, uh, breeze back there now <laughs> she's whispering in my ear um she we have the male nigriceps uh the boyga uh we're getting one and then we have a male oxycephalum uh the borneo locale coming as well so unfortunately we had a pretty sad story with the other male that we had uh to no fault of our own basically just got skinny we had no idea what was going on uh ended up passing away unfortunately and we had my good friend and our vet uh perform an autopsy on him or a necropsy and found that there was a bunch of polyps tumors oh. growths i suppose like in his abdomen uh down near his lower gi tract so I guess it was good to know that it wasn't really our fault. <laughs> that that's kind of reassuring. Yeah. But or you didn't have something in your collection. Yeah, that too. Yeah, having... that, that's that would be the worst thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And especially with all the the hog noses and stuff we added, like that was definitely a real fear of ours of like, mm, 
please don't be any of the various uh, pathogens or, or viruses or diseases, whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah. That, uh, yeah, we were just hopeful it wouldn't be that. And thankfully it wasn't. So, yeah, no, uh, that's very good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. what kind of boy are you getting? Uh, just a male nitriceps. Okay. Yeah, we we produced the only two clutches in Canada so far, and that wow. was with uh, returned or retained sperm. One was when we had the male. We were about to send both to one of our good friends in the U.S. who deals with a lot of boyga, and uh, we we're like, mm, she's not looking so. I guess shipping ready. Like she was very large and very bloated. And we were like, ah, I have a feeling she might have eggs. So we didn't end up sending her. And then probably a month later, she popped out a clutch of three eggs. Um, those hatched. They're doing great. Uh, one didn't make it to the egg go bad, Brie. Oh yeah, that's right. So we had like a overhydration issue and the egg essentially like super saturated and exploded. And, uh yeah unfortunately that one didn't make it but with the other two that it did hatch and we're doing good are in fact doing good eating very well uh and then just last weekend yeah last weekend we had uh like not yesterday but the weekend before that we had a uh clutch drop of two eggs or three eggs three two three eggs okay yeah, both were three eggs. So retain sperm. As far as we can tell, the eggs look great. So do uh, the babies struggle with eating or? Um, truthfully, Brie is is the 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 razor of the babies. I, I can't answer that, but just oh, man, if the snake if... guy invites the turtle guy onto the podcast <laughs> and starts asking snake questions, that he's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I know well <laughs> enough to where I can answer it, but yes, like Bree, Bree is the one who loves the Boyga more than anything. So, um, in general, though, yeah, they're they're they've been eating pretty well since the beginning. Um, we don't bother with a lot of people will say, oh, you know, feed them rat tails or pinky feet or whatever <laughs> people will give them. Um, whatever, we essentially just started with some. Yeah, we essentially just started with some uh, assist-fed pinkies, and that's not full, like if the viewers aren't familiar with it, that's not full, like, shoving a pinky down its throat. Basically, you kind of get its back fangs hooked on it, and then the snake will either decide to eat or it'll reject it and kind of launch the pinky as far as it can <laughs> uh, <laughs> as it rejects it from eating. So, um yeah, that thankfully we had a couple right off the start that like a couple attempts that didn't work out, but ever mm -hmm. since they've been pretty rock solid. They're growing, they're shedding, they're eating uh, mostly with either very limited assist feeding or even I believe one of them is just eating like we'll place a pinky in its enclosure and it'll be gone when we check later that day. So um, I know I hear a lot of stories from people in the States, you know, force feeding them rat tails or whatever for months and months and months and months. And you're like, guys, <laughs> maybe try something else if it's not working. Like, yeah. That's well. And aren't they like, aren't a good chunk of Boega, like a, like a lizard eater in general. In yeah. The wild? Lizard bird. 
I would so, imagine they're even to some degree, potentially even eating insects. Um, I don't think there's been any studies that have shown that, but I wouldn't be surprised is more, I guess what I'm saying. Uh, definitely more lizard feeders and birds though. So well, I wonder on that Boega thing if like people are like you hear it with carpet pythons anyway, like they feed a bigger item than you think you should feed. So, uh, I mean, I guess it is kind of a colubridish type snake, so you'd be on the other end of the spectrum, but. Yeah, I mean, they seem to take it like a, a pinky to them. Looks like, nah, man, there's no way <laughs> like there's no way this is happening, but yeah, they they take it. And it's and even if it's just like a pinky head or whatever, like that's what we're trying to get into them more than just the the basically like dead tissue of a tail, a little bit of muscle, yeah. that kind of deal. Like we'd rather have some nutrients in there. And even if it is mostly fat on a pinky anyway, um, at least it kind of gets them kickstarted. At, at least that's kind of my thought behind it, I suppose. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely more nutritional value in a whole pinky than a pinky leg. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's. And there's been like studies done on like the digestion in snakes. And if you actually like cut a pinky or cut the mouse, uh, skin doesn't digest super quickly. So hmm. if you actually cut the frozen thawed mouse before you feed it, it'll let the digestive enzymes get into the mouse quicker. And it has been shown to help digestion in snakes. So that makes sense. But, yeah. So when you're feeding like a tail, that's all skin. It's not even really, it's a whole bunch of work for no payoff. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, well, I know, yeah, that's what I do for when I feed pinkies to the, the, the turtles is I, I cut the pinky in half as if I'm going right down its spine and, you know, cutting the head in half, you know, and, and just exposing it all. And it does um, seem to act. Uh, activate their appetite more than mm -hmm. just giving them a whole pinky. Yeah. It's, yep. <clears throat> excuse me. So, I mean, that, that works, you know, for the box turtles more and for the aquatic turtles. But yeah, so that's interesting. I, I hadn't heard uh, what you had just mentioned, Matthew, of, of studies being done about it. Yeah. Um, are you ever going to do March Madness again? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no i i would Just love a to dumb question for you <laughs> yeah I, I would love to but uh the may the, the may madness was was uh a lot like i don't know how i did it back then i mean i guess like the video quality wasn't necessarily at least in my eyes as high as it is now uh there was a lot less editing put into those it was more just like i need to get a video out every day let's go and Truthfully, it didn't really grow the channel much at all. Like during those months, obviously you're getting more views because you're posting more videos, but just in general, and especially the way the algorithm is now, like I don't think it would be very beneficial, if at all, to post every day like that. Unless it was, you know, up to kind of my standards now, then maybe it would be worth it. But the fact of the matter is, is like my audience is mostly the like 18 to 24 and then the second highest category is the 24 to or 25 to 34 or whatever and we got jobs man we can't sit there and, <laughs> and and watch you know 20 minute youtube videos every day like maybe you can but 
you know, every single day for seven days straight. Like there's no way. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say. It was like, who has time to watch him? You know, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm retired and I say that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, because you know, I, I've got all my other animals to take care of. Plus my art business It's it's, and, but I can set my schedule and it's, you know, a, there's a lot of stuff to do outside. You know, when I move the turtles outside, you know, and it's just like, when does everybody have time to view everything, <laughs> let alone make them? You know, it's, I, I don't know how you guys do it. It's amazing. Yeah, for real. I, I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm, it's like, you know what? How nice would it be? Like uh, every now and then you'll have that like epiphany of like, don't people get bored? Like, how do you come home from work and have nothing to do? Like, Oh man, I guess I got to make dinner. Like, okay, cool. But like, what about, you know, either video games or like art or YouTube? Like, you know, I've always had a, a hobby to like fall back on, but now moving out here, like I've been exposed to a lot more people that just like come home and do nothing. Wow. Yeah. That that's is... very prevalent here. <laughs> that is astonishing to me of just how crazy it is. Cause I, I used to do art all the time. And, uh, unfortunately since university it stopped, but, uh, yeah. Like what, it, what type of art? What type of art? Um, uh, most uh, kind of multimedium. I did a lot of like pencil drawing and then towards closer to when I stopped, basically I did a lot of like watercolor. Oh, nice. Yeah. What were your subject matters? Pardon me? What what type of subjects did you paint and draw? Um, mostly just kind of nature related stuff. Uh, a lot of it was for like art class in high school. Um, and I did like some shells and then I did a picture that I took in Hawaii of, uh, my sunglasses kind of reflecting off a, just like the sunset. And so I painted that and then, yep. Then university started and it was like, ah, I don't have time for any of this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could relate. I like you, I got a bachelor's in biology and another one in wildlife and fishery sciences and well, two majors in five years. And wow. uh, you know, I was only able to do my oil painting, you know, on spring break and winter break and, you know, that sort of thing and, and keep my turtles. And, and it, yeah, I don't understand how people can do nothing either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, did, I mean, do they watch TV? You know, I mean, even when I'm watching TV, I'm brushing my dogs or, or when I'm sculpting, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a podcast going, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't understand nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wrap my head around it. Even when I'm, I'll be sitting here and I'll be like in the reptile room feeding and I'll be listening to a podcast and then I'll be answering an Instagram message and like my head just bounces all over the place, but I can't imagine just sitting here being like, yep, I guess we're watching, you know, the office for the eighth time. Like, <laughs> like uh, nope. I, where do you guys have time for that? I don't understand. Well, there's, it's, this goes to the, like the, there's the people who talk about doing things and the people who do things. Yeah. Like I've talked about doing a podcast for a long time. I've talked about doing YouTube. You've done it. You did it. I didn't. I talked about doing it. So, you know, that's you choose to do it. Yeah. Otherwise hey, you just can't go home and watch movies. 
and then I, I'm going to make uh, Matthew help me make a couple of ponds on, on our place. Nice. He, he made the mistake of saying that he's installed a couple of ponds for the landscaping company he worked for. So it's like, oh, really? <laughs> mm, perfect. Tell me more while you're making one in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he'll, he'll get paid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I... it'll, it'll be a write-off because you know that we can draw. You know, Joel's my partner is an outdoor photographer, and so and you know we have our our works in, in, in the same gallery that represents us in in the in the little art town, um, the little Sedona of the Black Hills, Hill City, and uh, so you know he goes, we need a pond so that the birds will all come to it. You know, it's great background. Okay, I'll talk to Matthew about that. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's a write-off. <laughs> nice, there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> so, are there any species that you're looking or that you would add if they came around? Is there anything special to you that you're still waiting for? Or? Of course, there always is. <laughs> um, Such as... Yeah, recently, uh, chameleons, since being in Madagascar, have become like i never really let go of the chameleon bug like i've i've been i bred chameleons when i was like 14 maybe somewhere around there 15 um and have kept them for more years than i haven't kept them so that is definitely something that when we have the space and the appropriate uh facilities i suppose then yes, they will definitely be coming back. Unfortunately, I don't see that being necessarily anytime soon. Um, and then I would say that I've also been looking at various different species of anole recently um, because, again, they remind me a lot of like tachydromus. So there is that. Um, and then frogs. Well, and Ron St. Pierre has been kind of talking a lot of good about his novels everywhere. Yeah, I, I've been following mostly Armin, like from Herp Time, with all of his really okay. crazy, whatever he has, like 30 different species of anoles or something. But yeah, yeah, I've noticed that Ron has definitely been uh, bumping them up as well. So something that will come eventually. Uh, I've already talked to Armin about it, but I just said, I'm like, listen, man, this is an idea. I want to buy them from you, but it won't be anytime soon. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, let me know when the time comes and, and I'll have some ready for you. I'm like, cool. Sounds good. Um, and then frogs, the like the larger fog, uh, there's imports very infrequently. Like we um, have done a group order last year and I think we might do another group order this year. I, I don't know. I, I know there's one happening. I'm not a part of it currently. But uh, if not, then I know there's some really crazy species coming in 2024 that I will probably just wait and uh, sink my money into at that point. So this this truly, like I said, is the year of like building stuff, having stuff more established and set up in like the more... I guess future proof homes, like the larger terrariums and enclosures. And then after that, I'll be like, okay, let's reassess. What do we have space for? Anything? Who knows? <laughs> if you could keep anything, anything at all, it doesn't have to be reptile, amphibian related. 
anything at all, no laws, no money, and and produce it, what would you what would you have? I would say probably either some rare species of like Parsons chameleon, like the just like orange eyes. I guess they're not really rare, but um Parsons chameleon would definitely be one. Honestly, uh arowana, Asian arowana, another thing you guys aren't allowed to have. Those are something that I as I guess as I grew up, one of my really good friends kept them and never bred them, but he kept them and with like rays and stuff. And that's something that I would just love to have is like a really nice large enclosure or tank, I guess, like aquarium for them and and just see their beauty. Like I mean, they can run 10 to 50k for one fish but like wow you can't beat it it's one of the most (laughs) primitive fish and they are incredibly agile and they're just beautiful so that's kind of an odd duck answer but yeah that's that's kind of what comes to mind at least with the limited thought that i had to put into it (laughs) (laughs) this uh this is the second week in a row we've gotten a fish. Um, mm, yeah. yeah, the cuttlefish was the last one. So. Oh yeah, cuttlefish are. I we actually produced them at Pisces. Like when I worked there, we not oh. produced them, but we'd buy eggs and hatch them in the store. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. All right, where can we reach you at, Mike? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Alpha Dot Reptile. I'm on. YouTube, Mike Titula, or Alpha Reptile, either one you search, I should come up. Uh, Facebook, Mike Titula. If you're going to add me as a friend, just send me a message telling me who you are first. Uh, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> random messages or a lot of like random requests. Some get through, some don't. So if you really want to make sure that you get accepted, just give me a little phrase or two saying, hey, you know, whatever watched you or saw you here enjoy this just a quick little introduction and that'll basically guarantee you get a accepted friend request beyond that that's pretty much it i i do have a tiktok i don't really post there so i'm not even gonna bother mentioning it (laughs) (laughs) fair enough uh for the show you can find us on youtube at herp talk radio uh any podcast platform patreon still not up but it should be the only reason we're doing Patreon really is to try to cover the upfront cost of the show. Um, other than that, I don't really care to make money. I'm doing this for fun. Uh, <laughs> I just just want to preface that it does cost money to make this every month. It so it does. Um, yeah, Instagram, Herp Talk Radio, and any questions, please reach out at uh, talkradio at gmail dot com. Uh, have a good day, night evening, whatever time it is you're listening. We'll see you next time. See you. Good night.